Art Society podcast covers a variety of important and contemporary issues, including dark art, as well as other kinds of art, literature, film, music, also culture, philosophy, dreams, paranormal experiences, magic, and a whole lot more than that. I'm Mike Carell, director of Chet's Art, I Like to Paint Monsters, and you are listening to the Dark Art Society podcast, hosted by renowned artist Chet Zar. Hey, Mike. Hey, Chet. How are you? You made it. I did. I, I know. I know you're rushing around, stressing out, so I appreciate it. Well, yeah. I won't even argue that. <laughs> it's been a challenging week for Mike, but we won't get into that. It's been an interesting week anyway. <laughs> well, let's get right to it, because I am super, super yeah. excited about this podcast. Um, we have Martin W. Ball in the house. Yeah, right. And, and Chet he, talks about him all the time. Hey, so I'm excited he can because maybe then Chet will stop talking I, about him so much. <laughs> I talk about I talk about his teachings or his research because it's amazing and it's incredible and it's uh, I think world changing kind of stuff. So uh, you know, I wanted to introduce everybody in the audience to Martin and his work and um but also we really want to promote this Kickstarter that uh, a documentary that is hopefully going to be created about him and his work with five MEO DMT. Um, so we will keep harping the, on that until people support it. And so, yeah, ladies one, and, well, and one of the ways, wait, wait one sec, one of the ways you guys can support it, I want to say this now, cause you said you wanted to get yes, it right out there. Yep. One of the ways to support this is that, you know, it's the MB five project. That's the letter M for Martin, the letter B for ball and the letter five, which comes out of the, the annotation five M E O D M T, which is the kind of the subject of this and theogenic discussion here. But I wanted to mention that five, that MB five, because that's going to be something that as you guys try to help promote this, you can hashtag that MB five and help us get a stronger following. It'd be great. Absolutely. Thank yeah. You. Yeah. Mentioning, mentioning, sorry about that. Mentioning the title is probably a good idea so uh anyway everybody here's martin hey martin hey thanks for having me on guys uh thanks yep. for coming on this is a, a treat so yeah i i what can you tell people about yourself and, and your work with 5meo dmt and what 5meo dmt even is because i know a lot of people like me when i first contacted you thought it was the same thing as dmt until you set me straight <laughs> that's apparently very different yeah. Um, okay. Well, maybe even just start with what DMT is first, because if you don't even have a jumping off point with DMT, how are you going to even understand the 5-MEO thing, right? That's Okay, well, we can get to all of it. Um, maybe first I'll just introduce myself for your audience. So as you've already said, my name is Martin, and yes, I do use the W. Um, <laughs> I'm not trying to be pretentious. Uh, I found that um, I needed to use my middle initial because when I first started as an author, there was already some other Martin Ball who was writing books on like Welsh phonetics or something like that. <laughs> and it's like, well, that's definitely not me. So I guess I got to use the W. And then also I'm a musician and there's, uh, there's this guy, there's a Martin Ball who couldn't be like more different from me musically who makes like Christian country rock <laughs> or something like that. His name is Martin Ball. Ooh. It's like, oh, he, he has an album called Come to the Throne. It's like, okay, well, that's definitely not me. So I had to use the <laughs> So I had to use the W and I also had to do that to get a Gmail account and I had to use my W in order to get um, a Facebook account too. But other than that, I don't use the W. So I just, you know, <laughs> I use it for, you know, professional purposes. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, my name is Martin. Um, I've actually known Chet for quite a while now. You and I first connected way back in the MySpace days. Right. Um, so that was probably like maybe 12 years ago yeah. or something. Yeah, crazy. And yeah, then I, I, 
I think I got back in touch with you about my DMT experience, right? That's when we yeah. started kind of talking. Yeah, you reached out again on Facebook, and, yeah. and you kind of introduced, like, hey, I don't know if you remember from MySpace. It's like, I'm not going to forget the guy who paints the crazy monsters. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember who you are. <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I remember when we connected way back there on MySpace and just checking out your page and looking at your art. It's like, wow, this is some really crazy, wild stuff. And look at all these really sympathetic, ghoulish creatures. Yeah, <laughs> kind of <laughs> like humans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, um, yeah, after you contacted me again, I don't know, maybe seven, I don't know how many years ago it was now, yeah. then on Facebook. And then you sent me. Just we can't. This is all audio, so it doesn't right. matter. And I'm, I'm pointing. I'll tell your audience. I'm pointing <laughs> to the bookshelf, and I have my personal um, Chet Czar piece over there. St he he stares at me while I type at the computer, which is pretty often. So <laughs> nice. yeah, I, I, well, that was your heart's looking at me, man. <laughs> well, see, that's perfect. I have actually I have mine right here, so I'm pointing again. This is for my audience as well. Right <laughs> above my computer in front of me, I have my little Chet Zar painting there as well. well so I don't, I, we're all being looked at because I know Chet has Chet Zar <laughs> paintings all over that office room, all kinds of prints hey, and crap. It's the way I say thank you because I don't have a lot of money because I I, I was so confused after my DMT experience. I was like, I got to talk to Martin about this. And you really helped me sort it out in, in, a, in, a, in a real concise way. It was like, oh, obviously that makes sense. And uh, yeah. it really changed my whole psychedelic experience actually after that DMT experience. Like all my I other, know. you know, with uh, uh, mushrooms and stuff, it, it's never been the same since then. It's like something opened, something broke open that time. And then also with the understanding that you kind of uh, helped clue me into, it was really, really helpful. So I sent you a little study. <laughs> yeah, right on. So yeah, with my work with entheogens, um, in terms of my educational background, uh, I earned my master's and my PhD from University of California, Santa Barbara in religious studies. Uh, before that, I'd been a philosophy major as an undergraduate. So, you know, I was one of those people who liked to think about what is the nature of reality? What is the nature of perception? How do we know what's real versus what's not real? Um, and are there methodologies outside of the physical sciences that allow us to gain access to genuine states of knowledge about reality? Um, so that's kind of my approach in getting into religious studies. Uh, I was not in any way, shape, or form a religious person going into religious studies. I mean, I was raised in a completely secular atheist household, um, had no religious affiliation at that level, had kind of gotten into Zen Buddhism uh, to some degree, and then also throughout graduate school, kind of late college and into graduate school, uh, you know, like many young people, I was introduced to psilocybin mushrooms and then um, had some people tell me, oh, well, you've got to read this Terrence McKenna guy. So I started reading some Terrence McKenna and then someone else said, oh, you've got to read Carlos Castaneda. <laughs> so I started reading Carlos Castaneda. And then, you know, by the time I got into graduate school, I was really kind of devouring anything I could find that had to do with psychedelics or entheogens. And in particular, I was interested in their connection to what is, you know, very vaguely called shamanism. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that that's a word that's really overused quite a bit and also looking at comparative mysticism and also I would say as a graduate student kind of frustrated by the fact that um, most of my professors didn't really know or were interested in the question of what is the relationship between psychedelics and religious experience right. and so something that has become very clear to many people at this point in time is that 
most of the world's religions, the really big ones and the ones that have been around for a long time, at least in some degree, they can all be traced back to some form of psychedelic usage, either within that religion or something that came prior to the development yeah. of that religion. Yet this is something that's not really taught in religious studies programs yeah. for the most part. It's insane. Um, <laughs> it's insane. It's weird. You actually have to go to, say, an anthropology department, and then anthropology departments um, they might actually teach classes on ethnobotany, which is what it's called within the realm of anthropology. And so then you learn about, okay, well, the natives in South America, they make this brew called ayahuasca, and they've been doing this for thousands of years. And then we have people in Mesoamerica taking psilocybin mushrooms and um, Mazatec Indians with uh, salve divinorum and things like that. So you, there's access to this information, but it really, it's not present in a lot of religious studies programs. Mm. And honestly, for me, when I first started experiencing psychedelics and then also became aware that many of these have been used in mainstream religious traditions, they started to make a hell of a lot more sense yeah, to me. Totally. Because prior to that, my opinion was, these people are just crazy. Right. <laughs> this, this is all... I mean, what our, what our ancestors are seeing angels and being lifted up into heavenly palaces and encountering demons and all this stuff is like, were our ancestors just all crazy? I mean, what is all this stuff? <laughs> but then when you start to understand that, oh, there might have been psychedelics involved, suddenly that shifts it into, okay, I think I can understand what might be going on here. Um, that, it, that this might be a psychedelic experience that has religious connotations and overtones and, and things like that. Um, so anyway, that's kind of my background and how I got interested in questions of psychedelics and nature of perception and experience. Um, then to fast forward really quickly, um, in 2007, I moved up here to Ashland, Oregon, where I am now. And very shortly after moving up here, I was invited to experience 5-methoxydimethyltryptamine. So we've already mentioned this. This is 5-MeO-DMT. And a lot of people are familiar with the, the three-letter word DMT, which actually is NNDMT. And a lot of people know that that's um, one of the primary ingredients of ayahuasca, which is this psychedelic brew that is made in South America. Um, but back in, there in 2007, when I first experienced 5-MeO-DMT, um, really not a lot of people have ever heard about it or knew what it was. So back as you know starting in the 1970s and then up through the 90s terence mckenna was a really big advocate of dmt for example so he really um primed the pump and no trump you did not make up that phrase the pump. <laughs> just, just for the record he made a up, um, man <laughs> he's got the best words he best does. words <laughs> I, I made that up didn't you know um Anyway, uh, people like Terrence McKenna, he spent a lot of time talking about DMT and kind of created this whole mythology around DMT. Um, and she part knows. of that was, yeah, was the, the whole thing about machine elves and this, <laughs> yes. this, this absolutely bullshit idea that history is going to come to an end at, at the end of December in uh, 2012. And this was something that he talked about um, for years and years and years and kind of really primed this mythology around DMT. And... Um, then there also was the study by Dr. Rick Strassman called DMT, the spirit molecule, where um, Strassman basically um, 
comes out and says, well, I think that maybe DMT is allowing access into other realities and other universes and it allows you to contact aliens. And he called it channel dark matter, mm-hmm. um, kind of mixing metaphors of several different theory, theories within theoretical physics that are unrelated to each other. So um, that's, that's something that I've critiqued him on, that dark matter and multiple universes or other realities. These are two completely separate things within the realm of astrophysics. They're not related to each other anyway. So he can't kind of like Terrence McKenna. He just blended a lot of stuff together. And so it kind of created this mythology that DMT gives you access to aliens and other realms. It does and feel that way. To be does, fair, it, it does feel yeah, that way. <laughs> it, it feels that way. But the question is, the question that I've always been interested in is what is the difference between our perception or experience of reality and reality itself and is there a difference and then how do we know um so yes these are the kinds of things that show up in dmt experiences but then the question is well are they are they real at the level that we think that they're real or that we're assuming that they're real Mm -hmm. and initially um strassman actually had a lot of resistance to that and he had kind of a Buddhist view um, coming out of a Zen Buddhist background. And with the people that he was working with in his study, he he tried to tell them, well, these are projections of your mind. And he found that people that really resisted that. Mm-hmm. And so then he eventually said, well, we're just going to treat it as though this is all real. And he said that he found that he got better responses from the participants in his study if he just went ahead and just said, okay, so you saw the alien and then whatnot. So he kind of let go of sort of his Buddhist psychology um, or his Buddhist phenomenology. Uh, But then went so far as to say, and I think they're actually right, that they are encountering aliens and and whatnot. Um, So that was kind of the mythology that got made uh, around DMT and really popularized the notion of DMT and smoking DMT, where you have this really short, very, very intense psychedelic experience and interestingly also with like with terence mckenna kind of a famous quote from terence mckenna and i'll try and do my mckenna impression was <laughs> well when i tried 5meo there was just this feeling but when i smoke dmt i can really hallucinate so that's what i want to talk to you about in the machine elves so uh, it was kind of interesting in in me you know having this 5meo dmt experience and right around that same time i started my own podcast which is the entheogenic evolution which um i interviewed chet on yeah. there a few years ago now and we'll, we'll that put a link still. we'll put a link on the uh in the description yeah, so so we're in our vice versa phase right now. Um, but when I first started talking about 5-MeO-DMT, um, I had actually experienced 5-MeO-DMT prior to any direct experience of DMT. So I went to 5-MeO first and then oh, DMT came, came later. Huh. Um, but my impression, okay, from my very first 5-MeO-DMT experience, someone, I would have described myself as sort of a shamanic buddhist kind of worldview or outlook and um i was really uncomfortable with like the word god something like that just made me think oh christianity faith (laughs) the dogma church nah you know stuff i i wasn't really too hip on um but when i first experienced 5meo dmt my immediate reaction within seconds before I had even completed taking my hit, was, oh my God, it's God. (laughs) 
And it was so overwhelming. It was so profound. It was, it was just this unfolding of this infinite array of living starlight that overwhelmed all of my perceptions of reality and infused everything. And so within seconds, I was just, I was, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Because this was, I, I knew in that very moment that this was the exact experience that I had been looking for my entire life. This is what had driven me to philosophy and right. to study physics and to study religion and to become interested in psychedelics in the first place. And it left everything so far behind in the dust. Mm. And then coming out of that experience, what was clear to me, I, I couldn't really understand it and wrap my mind around it at the time, but what was clear to me that not only was God absolutely real beyond any question, but that God was reality itself. And that included me and everything that I thought was me was actually God. So God, God was just everything right and and in coming out of that experience comparing that when i'm thinking okay so terence mckenna said five meo dmt it's just a feeling versus dmt i get to see machine elves it's like wow that whole machine elves thing that is so irrelevant right to, well, to the deeper yeah. nature of reality and the deeper nature of perception and that he dismissed five meo as quote a feeling it's like well that that feeling was the feeling of God suffusing all of reality with infinite consciousness and <laughs> infinite life and infinite love. And you just think that's just a feeling? <laughs> well, if, that, he, that, if he's seeing the, the, the machine elves, if he's all, if he was, you know, all into the machine elves on DMT, it's clear that he wasn't really letting himself go all the way probably with the five MEO experience. So he probably didn't get the full feeling. I imagine if he got the full feeling, yeah. he would have been like, Oh, it's God. And, you know, and I wanted to say while, while we're in this uh, part of the story is that's where I got back in touch with you is I saw that article you wrote on Reality Sandwich blog about uh, yeah. Terrence McKenna, where it was a critique of him. And I was it's so funny because I, you know, I'm a Terrence McKenna fan as well. And um, I was reading it and I was like, you know, totally. I had the, the reaction of most of the people that posted on the blog. Yeah, Who is yeah. this asshole? How dare he yeah, talk about yeah, our yeah. beloved Terrence McKenna like that? But something in me said, you know what? Read the whole thing and, and you know, try and be uh, objective about it. And I read the whole thing and I was like, son of a bitch, he's right. You know, it's like it clicked. I was like, <laughs> he's right. And that really kind of bummed me out in a way because, you know, like everybody, we had this idea about Terrence McKenna as this kind of, you know, savior guy in a way, or the the, the guy at the top. And uh, so then I started looking more into your stuff and, and, and I was just like, shit, this is, this is your videos and stuff online and lectures. And, and it was, I started, then I got your book uh, being human and it's like, it started, <clears throat> It was just so clear and concise and so free of any kind of dogmatic bullshit that it was kind of connecting all these dots for me. And that's how I really got into your work. And and, and now I can't believe, like I, I was saying before we start recording, I can't believe you're not bigger than McKenna because, <clears throat> you know, you say it so clearly. And so Can I, I jump in here too yeah, uh, when you're done, yeah. Chet. Yeah, go for it. I just, I wanted to mention that 
it's interesting for me because I'm in a different age bracket. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to be 38 in November, right? Now my wife is seven years older than me. So, and I relate with people that are older than me and younger than me, but still I am younger and was raised by different, yeah. you know, a different age bracket. So Terrence McKenna for me was something that your story is similar to me. Cause that's kind of how I was like, Oh, going through college, trying things out and doing all these things. And you're very curious about the, you know, nature and our experience of nature and consciousness and awareness and how these things work together. And is there really a reality or is it all subjective and do we dictate it with our thoughts and you know, all of that. But I, I read the food of the gods by Terrence McKenna. It's the only book mm -hmm. I've ever read. And it was, I think in 2006 that I read that book. And I mean, I thought it was a really interesting book, but I never was like, I wasn't raised, you know, in the seventies, I was raised in the eighties, you know, in the nineties. So it's like Terrence McKenna didn't mean anything to me. So I never had any attachment to like, oh my God, this guy's the coup de grace of, you know, psychedelic, the yeah. understanding of the way in which the world works. Similarly, Straussman, I read his book, you know, I live here not far from where that all occurred, all those, the tests. Um, and it was interesting, and I, and but for me, I really tried to take in from a multidisciplinary outlook all of the different information because eventually they all, you know, there's there's points in all of them where they all are corroborating one another, and they're all saying the same thing, and those little basic points are the truths, and they're you know the truth is self evident and consistent over time. So it's interesting because. For me, you know, listening to you guys talk and banter about the whole Terrence McKenna thing, because I know there's a lot of drama around it. I've always observed it from kind yeah. of like some remove. And so Chet, all these years, and to qualify why he's been so interested in having me meet you and talk with you and all of this is because a lot of the way that I perceive things and the way I interact is obviously very much akin with the way in which you perceive things. And Chet's always been like, God, you guys would just mesh so well because you think about things this way. And like my wife, she, she turned me on to pantheism a long time ago, which is not that much different than what you're talking about yeah, really. Yeah. Um, you know, and so, and that to me made more sense out of anything insofar as like a, you know, a strictly, um, uh, organized kind of way of looking at the world, but I just don't approach the world from an organized way of like, Oh, well, I, I, I am a, this, and this is how the world is. It's like, I'm just going along like, wow, I want to learn new things. And if I learn something new, cool. And that's it, you know? So it's fascinating to listen to you guys talk about this in the drama and I can kind of observe it from afar, but that hasn't ever been my experience with the psychedelic world. I've always had one of like a very personal experience that doesn't have anything to do with really anybody else or the culture of it or anything, you know, just like me and a few friends, you know, or whatever, but lots of different kinds of things. So I have a lot of those experiences and Chet knows that I'm, uh, you know, kind of a hardcore psycho not as it were. And so again, another reason why he would want us to, to meet each other, but let's, let's continue with your, uh, your story here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. One, one thing I want to add in also is, do you consider that pantheism? Because, uh, you know, it kind I mean, it's from the Wikipedia description, it's kind of it, you know, basically that God is everything. Yeah. So if we wanted to put a label on it in terms of what has been developed within religious studies, that that probably okay. be, would that's, be an accurate label. That's a good label. way to put it. <laughs> There's another one that put panentheism, which is very similar, but somewhat different. And I'm not, uh, I couldn't explain what the difference is between those two at the moment. But yeah, in terms of a general philosophy that that might be a, a good way of describing it. Um, Kind of what's different between me and just say pantheism or panentheism as a philosophy is that I'm really looking at it as a lived experience and as um, applicable methodologies of how to work with psychedelics in order to actually experience that. Right. So that that for me is the most important thing is uh, giving people access to the experience because we can come up with our theories and we can speculate and we can argue that, well, I think reality is this way. I think it's this way. I think it's that way. But what it comes down to is, 
is it accessible through th- some kind of experiential methodology? And right. that's why for me, 5-MeO-DMT is so important and interesting. So if we could kind of just really quickly encapsulate that DMT as an experience is very brief. It's extraordinarily visual. Um, and this is why Terrence McKenna, he used to call it the most powerful psychedelic. And so if, if we're using the term psychedelic to mean you see lots of crazy visual shit, <laughs> yes, DMT qualifies um, as the most powerful psychedelic. But if, we're, if we want to use the word entheogen, which means giving rise to the experience of God within, DMT is not in the same league as 5-MeO-DMT. And the reason for this is that 5-MeO-DMT is much, much stronger than DMT. And the result that you get from consumption of 5-MeO-DMT is that out of all the different psychedelics and entheogens that are available out there in the world, 5-MeO-DMT has the greatest potential to fully overwhelm the human ego so that this transcendent and non-dual experience can then arise where with DMT, see, we can go back to Terrence McKenna and the language that he used to use about how he would describe himself, well, I am in this space and I'm perfectly sober and I'm Mm -hmm. feeling totally normal, but I'm seeing these aliens and I'm seeing these machine elves. And so what we see is that in the language that he's using to describe his experience, he's still very much locked into a subject-object duality, that there's a sense of self there, and there's also a sense of otherness. And that was one of the main things that he used to write and speak about, is the other, and he presented it as this mystery. And so he referred to the alien other of the mushrooms, the machine elves other of the DMT experience. Um, And so this is all dualistic language. And... It's important to understand that 99.99% of all experiences that all people have throughout their life and in all space and time are dualistic experiences. So there seems to be a very natural divide between subject and object. But the rare experience of the full non-dual experience, which is what can occur with 5-MeO-DMT, reveals quite obviously to the person experiencing it, it becomes quite obvious that dualistic perceptions are actually based on illusions that we have committed ourselves to and built a sense of self and identity around. But when you transcend that sense of self, that egoic sense of self, that the only thing that you're left with is a universal being and consciousness that is all of reality, all space and time, forever and ever. And so that's why I'm happy using the word God, because I don't know what the hell else to call that. (laughs) You know, we could call that, you know, I could call it, some people like to call it source. And that's that's something that's really big in a lot of 5-MeO circles at this point, that people want to talk about source and how you can smoke 5-MeO DMT and you can, quote, return to source. And I take issue with that, because my point is, look, man, You've never left. That this is not your source. You did not come from this. You are it. This this you are this, this is yeah. you are this thing. This universal intelligence of infinite energy and infinite love. It's you. So you didn't come from it. You're not going back to it. Right. Because you, you can't you can't ever leave. You can't not be you know, it. <laughs> yeah. It's exactly. it's you. It's what we all are. And so from that first 5-MeO experience that I had, it unleashed this cascade of 
deconstruction of my sense of self and then continuing to work both with 5-MeO-DMT and also ayahuasca and psilocybin mushrooms and salvia divinorum that I went through this time period. So this was in starting in late 2007 and it led up into the spring of 2009. And I always like to remind people that, or, or let them know, for a lot of people, they've heard my story many, many times, so it's just a reminder, but other people, for, for whoever it's new for. Um, during this time period, I really thought I was probably going crazy because the kinds of things that I was going through was, it, it seemed like something out of the Quran or out of the Bible, that I'm, I'm starting to have conversations with God. And it was all happening through my body where... I would, I could, you know, when I was in these psychedelic states, um, this voice would take over my body and just start speaking. And then the Martin voice would come back and be like, whoa, who's that? Who's talking? <laughs> and yet my ego is also perceiving like, well, that was God talking. And this is, this is crazy ass shit, man. This is loony bin <laughs> stuff. Yeah. You are, you are losing it. You are really, really losing it. Weren't you terrified? And, Were you terrified? Cause that seemed scary. Well, I was reading I, it in your, in your book, your, your, your autobiography it sounded terrifying yeah, to me. I was both terrified and exhilarated at the same time. And then also deeply confused mm -hmm. about, I don't know what the hell is going on with me. Um, and I was also really, um, really worried about attaching myself to something that wasn't true. And so I was very concerned, like, man, am I just bullshitting myself? Is right. this all just, am I just high as fuck? And I'm just not <laughs> smart enough to figure out that this is just all a load of shit. Um, <laughs> And so the, it was It was not easy. I really like to emphasize that, that it wasn't easy. And I did feel that my grip on sanity was breaking. And then the distinction between really deep psychedelic states and normal everyday awareness, that line and that boundary became weaker and weaker and weaker and more and more porous, where these the same kinds of things that would happen to me under the influence of psychedelics they started breaking through into normal everyday experiences and i would go into these big energetic openings and it was it really felt like reality was breaking apart and i didn't know what was coming next and so it was it was exhilarating it was terrifying at the same time but there's a lot of details to the story. Chet has already mentioned that yeah, I plug the book. book. Plug the book. My book is called <laughs> Being Infinite, and I ended up. I wrote this book a few years ago just because I've I've told this story so many times. I've literally had people travel from all around the world to come and visit me, and they almost always wanted to know how did you learn what you've learned? How did you how did you come to know the things that you've been sharing with us? And so I had to tell the story again and again and again. So finally, I said, okay. I'm just going to go ahead and write it as a book so that, you know, I could just say, here, read the book rather than having to tell the story all over again. Um, but anyway, it came to a culmination in the spring of 2009 where this, the simplest way to put it, and this is another thing. So if people didn't like it when I, I bagged on Terrence McKenna, uh, <laughs> I really raked him over the coals and, and so people didn't like that. And people also, sometimes they don't like when I say this, but I'm just going to say it because it's the simplest way to say it is that in the spring of 2009, I've, my ego relaxed and opened up enough to the point where I could just admit to myself, okay, it's true, I'm God, God is all reality, I am that, this is what I am, okay, I accept that, and I trust that this is true. 
And at that point, I literally started tripping 5-MeO-DMT without consuming any because now your body produces both 5-MeO-DMT and DMT. This is a, these are natural compounds inside the human body. And in the moment that I accepted that, I started tripping 5-MeO-DMT and it lasted for about three months. Wow. And, it, and at that point, um, okay, so right now, so this is, this is one of these weird things, but I the best way I can describe it is I'm talking to you now through the Martin character. Okay. So that's my ego and all of us, we all have an ego and that, that is the ego is effectively a character for God to play through the form of a human vehicle. So one of the ways I like to describe it is there is one actor and that one actor is playing billions of different parts simultaneously and playing those parts so well and so convincingly that for the most part, the actor forgets that it's an actor and it believes that it's the character that it is playing. Okay, so, so that is a description of the ego and the relationship between the ego and the non-dual consciousness that is God. But at this point in, in my story, in spring of 2009, my ego character of Martin said, okay, I understand that. I'm, I'm going to stop playing Martin now. <laughs> and so when that when that transition was made, so like I said, I'm, I'm I'm speaking to you now in the Martin voice. I'm playing the Martin persona because this is how I I interact with people socially, and it's convenient. But at that point, I stopped playing Martin, especially when I was at home. <laughs> and so I so I don't sound like this when I'm speaking in my genuine voice. That this is my character voice. It's like I'm in a movie right now, and so we're we're all playing our characters, and I'm not breaking character. Um, but I was, I was off the deep end in that sense. And I was in this fully open energetic state all the time. It was like I was tripping really, really hard, except with the only exception was when I went to the university to go teach my classes. And then suddenly the Martin character would come back online and I teach <laughs> class as the normal professor. And then I'd come back home and then boom, that whole thing was gone again. And I'd be back in this highly psychedelic state. Wow. And so at that point, I would describe it as I became very attuned to the energy of reality. And it just became immediately obvious to me the difference between what is really real versus what we think or want to be real or speculate to be real. And so that's the point where I was like, oh, wow, Terrence McKenna completely missed the boat. That this he he not only did he miss the boat he went in the other direction in terms of what he was sharing right. about psychedelic experience and not only that I mean I don't just want to harp on Terence McKenna but I was you know again I have my PhD in religious studies and so I have a deep knowledge of a lot of different religious traditions and it was I could find little basically little bullet points little tiny places where okay well this religion here says something correct the rest right. of this is ego yeah it's all ego and even religions that i was really quite fond of for example um i was really quite smitten with buddhism and there's still a lot of buddhism that i really appreciate and think is right on but then there was loads of other stuff where okay all the rest of this this is ego see because i had learned to tell the difference between the structure and energy and workings of the ego and just reality as it is and that's what then led to writing the book being human because I came to this awareness that um, 
not only are people really being misled through what they think they know through psychedelics, but also through various spiritual and religious traditions. And so that's why I took on, I created the label for myself of, well, I'm a radical non-dualist. Mm-hmm. And the radical part is that, for example, in Buddhism and Hinduism and some other religious traditions, you do have non-dual teachings, but they're not radical enough because there's so much egoic leftovers that's still included in there. So I said, well, I'm going to be a radical non-dualist. And so that's why I wrote Being Human was to try and present it as a guide to help people sort out reality from projection and attachment. And then also at that point, because I wasn't playing Martin at home anymore, um, this made things between my wife and myself became um, more and more tense because her ego kept coming at me and kept bouncing back and hitting her in the face, metaphorically speaking. And so it became clear at that point that either if our relationship was going to last, she had to understand that this crazy guy who's living with, who says he's God, that he's actually just telling the truth. And, and I really want to emphasize that I'm not talking in any kind of religious worship me nonsense bullshit yeah, kind yeah. of thing because I'm not interested in that. Anybody that reads your books or sees your videos, it's pretty clear that you're not into that. Yeah. That, because, see, we're all God. That's the thing that right. I learned <laughs> is that, oh, my God, we're all God. We're actually all the same being just experiencing ourselves from the perspective of different characters. And so I just like to cut out the middleman and say, look. I'm God. And you know what? You are too. The difference between me and other people is that I know this is true. Right. I don't I don't believe it. And I also don't have any illusions about it. I'm not I'm not going to be walking on water, turning water into wine. I'm not going to be <laughs> raising the dead and saving people <laughs> from eternal damnation because all of that is a bunch of nonsense. That's yeah. all just storytelling and ego and all of that. So I'm not trying to make some kind of claim that, hey, I want people to worship me or something. Right. It's like, look, like I'm just trying to be honest to give people the courage that they can find this within themselves and also trying to do it in a way that like, I'm not claiming to be some kind of ascended master. I'm not right. some reincarnated guru. Cause all of that again is just ego. So I'm just going to tell yeah. people that's how uh, they, that's how we know you're not full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> One of the reasons is it, is it, uh, uh, what was my point going to be? It, it, isn't that a Hindu idea as well that we're characters in a great drama or isn't that like a, an Eastern yeah. kind of, yes. that's, that's one very, point where it was gotten correctly. You know what I mean? Yes. So that's a place where I'd say, yes, that's absolutely correct. But Hinduism suffers from belief in reincarnation. Right. And a million and, gods too, right? Yeah. And all these different gods and um, belief in karma and in Dharma. And so that's, see, again, I had, I'd studied, I'd practiced Buddhism. So a lot of this is very similar between Hinduism and Buddhism. And this is another place where with Buddhism, it's like, wow, this is totally and completely wrong. Because if everyone is God, why on earth or in the universe or in God's reality, there is no purpose to having any kind of reincarnation, this idea that you have some kind of soul that's traveling from one life to the next. It's like, let's just cut out the middleman. There is no soul. It's unnecessary. God is playing you right now. You do not have a soul. And if you don't have a soul, then you can't be reincarnated. Because, And that's just, see, the ego wants to think that there's some kind of essential self 
that within the Western traditions, they say, okay, well, you have an essential self and that goes to heaven or hell when you die. And in Eastern traditions coming out of India, they say there's an essential self that gets reincarnated. And then when you become enlightened, then you're no longer reincarnated. And so Buddhists say, well, then at that point, it's just poof, nothingness. Right. It's the (laughs) emptiness of nirvana. Whereas Hindus say, well, Advaita Vedantas would say, well, at that point, your individual soul rejoins the universal soul that is God. But that happens upon death. And so, again, as a radical non-dualist, I'm saying, look, none of this is accurate. Right. Genuine enlightenment actually means knowing who you are right here, right now. It has nothing to do with what happens when you die because there is no afterlife. There's nothing that's coming next from a personal perspective or standpoint. So just to quickly wrap it back around again, so that, that after this occurred within me and all, I was understanding all of this stuff and um, starting to communicate all this and things were becoming very difficult with my wife. So I'm getting close to talking about the movie. Um, <laughs> Good thing we mentioned it in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. What became clear was that if she couldn't just accept that this was reality, that our relationship was going to fall apart, and neither one of us really wanted that. So I started working with my wife with 5-MeO-DMT. Oh, that started your whole... Oh, that I didn't realize the, that. Interesting. That was the beginning. Wow. And so she, she was my first client. And mm. through working with her... That's where I first developed all the methodologies and techniques that I was then to go on to use with people from around the world. Because after that point, so kind of like you, Chad, um, people started listening to me in my podcast or reading my articles or reading my books. And a lot of people initially had a lot of anger and resistance. Right. Because who the fuck does this guy think he is? Yeah, you is? get a lot. You you get a that's lot of so, shit. That's <laughs> so weird, you know. Like, because that was not my reaction to being, being human. I was like, yeah, totally. He's just make. He's just saying the obvious truth you can, as easily and clearly and basically as you could say it. That's it. That's right, all it is. right, right. But it's you can. Not, you, I mean, you can really. It's, you can see where people would get hung up, though. You yeah. know, there, a lot yeah, of the oh, stuff yeah, you say, I you can say, oh, I, people are going to get pissed off at this right here. Yeah. <laughs> well, what well, what really, really what really makes a difference is how closely someone's identity is attached to the ide- the ideas that I am dismissing. Right, okay, right. So for, right. for for someone who's yeah for someone who's neutral and who reads Being Human, um, you know, I get a lot of emails from people who say, "Yeah, it's like you were just telling me stuff I already knew, and it was just so refreshing to mm-hmm. have that reflected back to me." But then other people, I do get a lot of emails from people who say, "Man, the first time I read your book, I was so fucking angry at you. I was just so pissed <laughs> off, and I was just oh." But then when they actually think about it, and then they become honest with themselves, they're like, "Like, oh man." He's right. <laughs> He's actually right. Oh my God. What do I do now? Um, but then people started contacting me and they started asking me, would you help me to experience this myself? So that's how I started working with people with 5-MeO DMT and doing one-on-one sessions with people. And I have a lot of very specific guidelines for how to maximize the effectiveness of that work and how to make sure that the person who goes through it comes out of it in a way that is grounded and balanced and clear. And at this point, I've made a lot of noise um, around what I call the difference between a provider and a practitioner of working with these kind of psychedelic medicines. Um, And most people out there, they fit into the category of provider according to my standards. They do not meet my standards of what it means to be a practitioner. So now, we've fast-forwarded 10 years 
later, here we are in 2017. So again, my first experience was back in the end of 2007, the very beginning of 2008. Um, when I first started talking about 5-MeO-DMT publicly, most people had never heard of it. And also a lot of people had a lot of resistance to me saying that this is way more powerful than DMT and I think it's far more significant. But now here we are in 2017, knowledge about 5-MeO-DMT is really spread around the world. And that there are some very public people who go around as providers of the medicine experience. And a lot of them do good work and some of them do actually, according to my standards, pretty shoddy work. And I'm not going to mention any names, um, but there, there's, there's a lot of controversy uh, out there. Um, and there's a lot of videos now that have been made and movies that have been made. But I spent a good seven years working one-on-one -on -one with people and developing these techniques and methodologies. And this is all what I've written about in my book that I just released two weeks ago, which is Entheogenic Liberation, Unraveling the Enigma of Non-Duality with 5-MeO-DMT Energetic Therapy. And so I've written all this down now to share this with people. Which you can and, also get uh, as a Kickstarter reward for the documentary, yes, yeah, right? Totally. <laughs> totally. Sorry. And I've actually retired from doing this work because I was doing it, I was working with like three to five people a week for years on end of doing this. And uh, it's really, really hard, grueling work where I'm sitting down with people and doing two hour long sessions of multiple rounds of 5-MeO DMT and basically taking their entire energetic life history and pulling it out of them and passing it through my body and my energy and cleaning it all out and then giving it back to them so in weird. a sense. Like a filter. It's, it's, it's really <laughs> weird. It's very uncanny. It's very strange. But so I retired from doing that last September because it, it was just getting exhausting because literally people have come from all across this planet to come and work with me. And my, my standards are, I either say yes to everyone or I say no, and I can't make exceptions because every person coming to me is just myself. And so I have to treat myself equally and fairly. Mm. And I just found that like, I just have to start saying no. And that means I have to say no to everyone. So I stopped doing this. And ironically, right at the same time that I stopped doing this, um, I was invited to come down to LA and give a talk, which Chet, you were at. And that was the first time we met in person. That was mm -hmm. at the Lamps talk. Mm-hmm. And after that, two of the organizers of that talk said, we'd really like to make a movie about you and how you work with 5MEO because this, <laughs> this sounds absolutely fascinating. And, and one of the things in promoting this documentary project I like to bring up is that last summer I was in Ireland working with a group of people out there one-on-one, -on -one, but it was, it was a group of people that was arranged that they were going to work with me with 5MEO because this is one of the places where it's still legal. Oh, really? Huh. And there was a filmmaker there, a documentary filmmaker, who said that he had filmed over 70 different sessions of people experiencing 5-MeO-DMT in a variety of different contexts. And he said, well, I'd, I'd like to watch you work. And so I, as long as it was okay with the client that I was working with, I said, that's fine. You can come in and watch me work. And he came in and he watched this two-hour session with this woman. And afterwards, this guy came up to me and his jaw was just on the floor. And he's like, what you just did there should have been impossible. I've never seen anything like that. I've, I've filmed all these different sessions with 5-MeO-DMT and other psychedelics. I've ayahuasca sessions and all of this. I've never once 
ever seen anything that was even remotely like that. That was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Thank you so much for letting me watch. And then he came back the next day and he interviewed me for like two hours. And so that's something I've been trying to promote with this idea of putting together this film project that no matter what people have seen or experienced with any psychedelic or any shamanic or ceremony or whatever it is, the way I work is so fundamentally and radically different that no one has, other than the people who have worked with me personally, no one has ever seen anything like it before. And that's part of what I think the value is, not just giving people something novel, but that all of my techniques and methodologies, they're all built out of my own process of accepting the fact that I am God. And that is the mission I have given to myself. I'm not really into like, yeah, this is my purpose or anything, but I've just decided that, look, I've figured this out for myself and that this has transformed my life. And when I look out at the world, what I see is, of course, there's natural disasters and diseases and stuff like that, but the vast majority of problems that human beings encounter are all self-generated and they all arise out of confused egos. Absolutely. It is the confused ego that creates hate and fear and war and violence and racism and all the rest of this stuff, all the shit we had to see over the weekend mm -hmm. uh, in Charlottesville and our ego idiot president. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's all the root of all of it is the ego. So if you want to fix the world, if you want to turn the world into something that is totally different from what we live in right now, the way to do it is to heal the ego. That yeah. that is that's the disease that every single human being on this planet has. And it's not to say that the ego is bad. It is to say that the ego is confused. And out of its confusion, it becomes attached to illusions. And those attachment to illusions leads to suffering and pain. And because I view every other person as just myself playing a different character, and I love myself, I want to do whatever I can to reduce my own pain and suffering. And that means helping other people to reduce their own pain and suffering because their pain and suffering is my pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. And so my approach, I do think, is something that could revolutionize the way that people both experience themselves and also live together on this planet. And so that's what I think is really the value of this documentary. Not just because it's mind-blowing and also will be creepy and weird and... <laughs> That's just, you a, know, that's just a cherry on the top added yeah. bonus. <laughs> but, the, but there's actually, there's a logic and there's a methodology behind it that no, at this point, no one else really knows. And that's why I wrote this book and theogenic liberation is trying to share that. And if we could make this film, that's going to be an even more accessible route. Cause it's one thing for me to write about it, right. but to actually see this is the way it works. Like to, to give an example, I've written a lot about, the importance of bilateral symmetry in the body. And as we've talked about here that I explained that, well, look, this is my ego character voice, but this is not my actual voice. And so at this last Exploring Psychedelics conference that I organize and host here in Ashland at Southern Oregon University, I actually did a demonstration in the conference because I don't need psychedelics to go through this shift in energy. So for I gave two different talks at the conference, and one of the talks was I'm going to show you how to embody non-dual energy with 5-MeO-DMT, and I demonstrated it for the audience. Without 5-MeO-DMT, though. Without 5-MeO-DMT. <laughs> Because I don't need that in order to do this shift. 
and I've posted this video now to YouTube, and oh, cool. it's and it's called Embodying Non-Dual Energy with 5-MeO-DMT. And so you can actually see what happens, and you can hear the change in my voice. You can see the shifts in my energy, and the, the responses from posting that video have been really overwhelming. I mean, people are like posting like, holy shit, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Documentary film project because if you think this is neat, this is me stage showing you what this looks like. Imagine someone with 5MEO and going through this with another person and working their energy in a way that no one's ever seen before. That you know, I'm trying to reveal as much of this as I can for the public because I think it has value, and I think that this film is an important part of that if we can get the support. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's, that's the thing right now is that, you know, people that are listening to this, you have an opportunity to get involved in this right now, this groundbreaking project that they're discussing, this film, on a Kickstarter project that's available to you, and it's running right now. It's We're campaigning for it, right? right? And that's why we're here talking about it. So go over and check out the page. We'll put a link in, obviously, so that you guys can head over and see what kinds of rewards and things you'd like for your pledge. But ultimately the idea is that helping and to fund this is going to actually help to relieve the suffering and pain of the world too. So there's that. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, there's right. more to it than just, you know, like getting a, a CD or a book <laughs> or, you know, having a one hour Skype with Martin, for instance, like we're doing right now as a reward. There's a whole bunch of really cool rewards. It's a really exciting project. We totally endorse it. So we want you guys to head over there. Also, if you can share it, that's super helpful too, because I think right now, part of the reason that it's sitting where it's at, because I watch this and I admin on it. So I know what's going on with the project. And uh, ultimately, it's sitting where it's sitting right now because there's not enough awareness. We need more people to know about yeah. what's happening and That's... about this project and about how groundbreaking and about the potential of it. So if you guys can share the link, that's huge. If you guys can tell your friends, tell your fans, reach out to blogs, reach out to pages, reach out to any association that's related to entheogens, DMT, 5-MeO-DMT. we got to put the word out. This is like a hundredth monkey effect thing, people. Yeah. And, you know, the reality is, like, like Chet was saying at the very beginning, is that um, I, my work and my name is known in certain small circles around the world and that there are people who are very passionate about what I share and my work. But the reality is, is that I, I personally do not have a huge audience. Um, I should. do not, I do not sell <laughs> millions of books. I am not well known. Um, even in, even in the world of psychedelics, um, I'm a relatively minor player, a relatively minor figure. I don't get, you know, in invitations to be flown out for conferences and yeah, come around the world and present <laughs> and things like that. Um, and that even within psychedelic communities, I'm kind of known as the iconoclastic um, Terrence Badmouther. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there, there's a lot of people out there who are actually very resistant to what I've tried to share. And there's a lot of people out there who don't like me. I've even had people tell me that they've They've tried to share my perspectives on like there's a very popular website called DMT Nexus. And I've had people write me and say, you know, we've tried writing about you and your stuff on DMT Nexus and we got banned from the site because <laughs> the people who run it don't like you. Wow. You know, so that they're there's ego response. A, yeah, I feel you, Martin. I feel you. I've been dealing with a lot of things like that recently. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I've been doing everything I can to reach out to to my own audience and uh, share this. But 
it's limited. And so that's right. why it's, it's really valuable to, for me to be here on your podcast. Cause I mean, Chet, I mean, let's just be clear. You have a much larger audience than I do. And so this is, this is very valuable to me in putting together this Kickstarter campaign and project, um, that this is going to reach a lot more people than I would ever reach on my own podcast or through my own Facebook feed or, or whatever. Oh, I'm well, then, you know, I got to say, I'll, happy to do it sorry, for sure. Sorry, Chet. Wait, I just let, let me, that. let me say something wait, real quick. Oh, okay. 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 Let me say something. I've been waiting. Yes, yes. Do it. Do, <laughs> uh, it. do it. You know what you should do? Martin, you should hit up every person that you worked with, with the medicine and ask them to share at least and promote it you know, seriously. That, Cause that's, that, that, that's a good idea, but I will tell you, I don't keep records uh, <laughs> and, and, um, honestly, when I'm in sessions with people, um, I don't use personal names because I find that that tends to lock people more into their ego. Uh. So everybody who's ever come to work with me, the, really the only thing I know is that I just call them love. Interesting. And so, and for the, most of the people that I've worked with, I've never met them before and they show up at my house and I'm a, okay, come on in. And then we do our session and then maybe they come back another time. And so I, I have worked with hundreds of people, but I could only tell you a handful of names wow. and I don't keep, I don't keep email lists. Okay. I don't keep records. <laughs> and part of that is for their own protection. Right. You know, yeah, that's that, true. That's um, true. You know, well, that's, don't, that's kind of the, the controversial aspect of this that we haven't really talked about on the podcast, and I don't think we need to think too much about, but there is that aspect of it, which is that this thing is illegal uh, based on the rules and regulations and laws of this country that we are producing this podcast in. And so, you know, that is kind of the thing that like, yeah, you got to be careful there, I imagine. And that, and that would have been one of my questions for you in interviewing you if I was doing this, like facilitating this as a traditional interview it would be like, how do you deal with that aspect? And you just answered the question. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I'll <laughs> I'll say I'll say a little bit more about that too. Um, All right, love to hear. When when I first started doing sessions with people, it was actually still legal. It was made uh, illegal in January nineteenth of two thousand and eleven. Oh, interesting! Wow, um, I had no idea. Which which was kind of out of the blue and. I just want to say for your listening audience, because we're all kind of accustomed to this, like, oh, yeah, they made something illegal again. Like, here's another illegal drug. But I just want to point out the bizarreness of this, because this is a chemical that is inside every single human being on this planet. Yet our government has made it illegal, which therefore means every single person on this planet is both possessing and using <laughs> an illegal drug right now wow. i'm an open container right now <laughs> get back and that wow. is just the most yeah it's absurd bizarre absurd i mean how did we get to this place where we're saying something that's inside you is illegal i mean who, yeah. what gives us the right to think that we can make any part of natural reality illegal you yeah, know? That, like, that, oh, that, that, well, that's no. illegal. That's bad. Well, that's the thing. You know what it is, though. You got You got to admit, the people that actually engage with it in their life, they realize how absurd it is. But people that don't engage with it, it's much easier to maintain that illusion, right? That it is yeah. this really scary, dangerous thing. You know, even in that Sunshine documentary that you turned me on to watch, which again I endorse watching. Watch that Sunshine documentary on Netflix. It's amazing. And the dude just died too, so watch it. But anyway, that in, in that you listen to the people, the law enforcement people, and they are. Terrifying. Right. I mean, right. seriously, they're like, they're like, oh, I mean, what would happen if you had a bad trip? I mean, oh my god. It's like, oh, well, I've had a lot, and you know, the thing is, is that it, I'm still here, and I'm sane. So, all right, I think it's all good. You can chill out. You know? Yeah. 
They just but have no hands-on experience, right? I mean, that's what you've been talking about all along is hands-on experience of God, right? And yeah. I can lend a little bit of legitimacy from my own experience because very recently I had a DMT experience, which I mentioned on this podcast briefly, previously, I think two episodes ago, with Chet. And the, the, what you've been talking about this whole thing is exactly what I feel like I've basically been going through. So it's like very bizarre. It's the mirror reflects, you know, it's a yeah. trip. It's, yeah. it's very, but it's fun and it's exciting. And uh, I feel lost, but also totally found. Yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> Beautiful. But with um, the documentary, part of the way that we're dealing with the illegality of this in the United States is that we are intending to film it uh, somewhere where 5-MeO-DMT is not an illegal drug. So, for example, Canada is an option. Mexico is an option. Uh, Jamaica has been proposed as another option. So that's part of what we're looking to raise money for. And, um, I mean, it's crazy because the, the Kickstarter campaign is, is $30,000. Now, from my personal perspective, that is such a large sum of money. You know, I mean, that's that's way more money than I make in a year, $30,000. And that's way more than I've ever had to raise. You know, with the Exploring Psychedelics Conference this last year, I raised $5,000. And I, it, that took me six months to raise $5,000. So that's a really big number for me. Now, in terms of making a film, that's a teeny tiny, right. itsy, bitsy, little <laughs> that's tiny, what I was gonna baby, say. <laughs> baby number. And most of that is actually to pay for getting everybody who's involved with the film. Um, so the, the, the two guys who are making the film, that's uh, Brad Adams and Paul Lisey. Super cool and guys. They, Super and great they guys. are s selecting... Well, you mentioned earlier lamps. I'd like to say that whole thing out. It's the Los Angeles Medical Plants Society. I think that's important, right? Yeah, it's actually that's, those, that's where those dudes... Oh, medicinal. That's where the... Yeah. Will you say it for us? And that's where these dudes are from. Yeah, the Los Angeles Medicinal Plants Society. And this is a group that meets once a month in Los Angeles and has uh, various speakers come in and talk about psychedelics and entheogens, um, largely from a more scientific perspective, but also from as an experiential and cultural perspective as well. But the majority of the funds that we're raising for this is simply so that all of us can fly somewhere where the cops are not going to come in and bust us and that Brad and Paul are selecting five people for me then to work with. And I think the idea is that I would do two sessions with each person over a course of a few days. And I got to tell you, it's hard work, man. Like doing, doing anything more than one session a day, like two is my absolute limit because it's so taxing to go through the experience and to work with people. But it'll be a marathon where we take like five days and I do two sessions a day with these people and that then we get to chart what their experiences were like. And one of the things that I've learned in doing work this way is that usually do like three rounds of medicine within a session and each round of medicine can be radically different from the one that came before it. And then when people do a succession of sessions with me that they change, they're so different. I can't tell you how many people I've worked with where they ask me like, so did you change the medicine? Is this different? And I tell them like, no, this is the exact same batch that we were using before. You're different. You're the, <laughs> yes. You're the one that's different that any psychedelic experience is always a reflection and amplification of your energetic state in that very moment. So that's going to shift and change. And the clearer and less tangled up you become in your own ego, the, the, the more dramatic differences you're going to see within the experience. So that, that's the, really, that's all that we're looking to raise money for is to get enough money that we can go somewhere and make this film. Nobody's making money 
from this. It's not like right. we're paying so, ourselves in any so capacity. We can attest um, to the fact that you don't make any money from deep yeah, documentaries. Every, yeah, everybody that listens to the Dark Art Society knows that uh, that even our documentary has not made any money. <laughs> yeah, I I, I, I want to just say my little piece here uh, to all the, the Zarmi and the fans and the people that listen to this podcast is that uh, I know a lot of people trust my word on uh, a lot of this stuff and I, I ask that you trust me again on this. This is, I think, is really important. I mean, uh, you know, I, I'll take the leap and say it could be the beginning of some huge change in the world, possibly. It really could. Because if you're, I, I imagine, you know, 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 years down the road when there is there are a lot of Martins doing this kind of work to facilitate other people, then the people start doing the work themselves. I mean, that's how it all begins. And yes. this is to, to me, I've been researching all this, you know, the psychedelic stuff, you know, uh, directly since I've been 18. But even before, when I was a teenager, I was reading up when I was like 12 years old, I was reading up on all the all the stuff. And Martin's stuff is the most clear and succinct and I think the most accurate um, uh, uh, description of, of the psychedelic processes and what's happening when you take it it's it's the clearest and the best i've ever read and so you know that alone should be a, a good enough reason to just tr tr uh, try and rally behind this project and get it funded because it's it really is important especially now with all this crazy shit going on and yeah, fucking seriously. donald trump and nazis it's like it's to me it's weird and cosmic that this is happening at the same time you don't don't you think it's kind of cosmic in a weird way that this you know, this thing is happening, whether it's well, with yeah. you and, and it, okay, but wait, 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 let me finish, let me, like let me finish okay, it, where it's, 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 you know, not only you and this documentary, but just that five MEO is coming into consciousness right now. And things are really crazy all over the world right now too. You know? Yeah. It's, it's like, <laughs> as things become crazy and confused on the surface, it's like, we've found the back door to clarity right. or maybe even the front door to clarity. Maybe we thought, I think maybe we thought we were going through the front door before, but that actually was the back door. Now here's the front door. We finally found it. And so right at the point where we just might really press the button and, you know, do some really serious damage on this planet and where we have reactionary leaders around the world and they're all playing off of ego right all these nationalist yeah. movements all of these uh, racial movements religious movements they are all ego reactionary movements and so right as this is really rearing its ugly head the solution is also right there i know and it's crazy. I, I think it's crazy. i think that that's profound and yep. it really shows us that we are we are on the edge that either we're going to tip towards clarity or we're fucked. And, you know, I'm rooting for clarity. I'm rooting for clarity. <laughs> that's and what this whole show is about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that's that's what I want to see happen. Now, of course, we can also be completely unattached and, hey, it's all God. It's all good. Whatever happens, happens. But it seems like it'd be like more to, fun to have it be to go the clarity way. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's more fun. <laughs> you know, like I was Sorry, thinking the Mike. other night is like, if I could, if I could describe <laughs> what it is that I'm trying to do is like, I'm trying to create an interstellar party ship into the future. <laughs> okay. That's like the best description I could give it. Cause it's like, like I'm trying to provide people with the vehicle that how do we get to like the really good party? 
right? <laughs> this is the way to do it. If we can overcome the barriers of our egos and the illusions that we are attached to that are defining our sense of self and providing us with a sense of meaning and opposition to whatever it is the imagined other is, if we can overcome that, then the party is going to be like nothing else we've ever seen. And yep. that's that's really what I'm rooting for. It's like, let's get to the party. Like, we, <laughs> yeah. We've got to do the work first. So yeah. it's, well, here's it's time thing, to do though. Yeah. yeah, and I can attest to it because I've been having this experience where it's like, I have never felt so just completely at ease in my entire <laughs> life. Like for what, Chad, how long has it been? Months now. It's mm. crazy. Like I feel like I can see all the things that I'm attached to or not even that I'm attached to, I guess. I could just see the thing that I would be attached to, I guess, because I'm not worried or anxious. And I like the struggle's real. There's still like this struggle of like life, but it's like at the same time, like I just don't feel worried about anything at all. And I, I spent most of my whole life being constantly like, what's going to happen? And if I think enough about it, I could possibly manipulate yeah, it yeah. in such a way that I could <laughs> dot, 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 you know? And everyone, we all do that. That's the sickness, right? So it's like, it's funny because I can still see like where it would be that I would feel, I should feel that way, but I don't. And it's so like, it's like, it is the party. It's so much fun. Like it's so much better. Like right now, check and attest to this. Because here's the thing. If you do this for yourself, if you change your own vibration, inevitably it affects the relationships you have, even with people yeah. that haven't done anything, right? Or yeah. even if they have, like Chet turned me onto this. He had already turned himself onto it. But like the funny thing is, is like Chet knows that right now I'd be freaking the fuck out over some of the shit that's been going on. <laughs> and I'm just like, God, I'm just, Chet knows how much pressure <laughs> I'm under. And I just, I'm like, I see where I would have felt that way. And like, I still have my emotions. Like I told Chet yesterday, I got angry and I just like let myself be angry on the phone with him. But it was like, it was all kind of funny and comical. And like, I didn't really, I wasn't attached to it. It just felt good to like be angry for a second. And then I didn't care anymore. And then I did what I knew I had to do, which is the thing I don't have a choice about, which I would have done anyway. You know, it's so weird. It's again, it's hard to talk about. That's why he's such, Martin Ball's such a cool dude, because he just lays it down. It's yeah. so, he makes it easy to be able to just say the thing that we're all dancing around that you can't really talk about, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll just share a, a little bit of, um, Maybe this was last month. I'm not quite sure when this happened. Um, but uh, every once in a while, I just like to take a night by myself and I, I take some some medicines. This is not for any other purpose other than that I just enjoy it. And I go in a nice dark room and I close my eyes and I put on my headphones and I just listen to music for a few hours and I just enjoy whatever unfolds. So this on this particular night, I was enjoying both MDMA and 4-ACO-DMT, which is a synthetic tryptamine, which turns into psilocin when it gets inside your body. So it's mm. basically like psychedelic mushrooms, um, but it's just a little powder. But anyway, a fairly high dose of both of these, MDMA and the 4-ACO-DMT, and this visionary space started to open up. And it was the funniest thing from my perspective See, I just I look at all this as just a form of entertainment. You know, I'm look, not looking to unlock the secrets of the universe or anything. It's like already oh, I've done them. all that. <laughs> yeah, it's like I've already done all that. So I'm just I'm just yeah. here to have a good time. So then, from my perspective, I'm up on top of this skyscraper and I'm looking out over this city. Maybe it was New York. I don't. I've never been to New York, so I don't know. But anyway, it was it had that feel of like there's a really big, dense city with lots of big skyscrapers, and I'm on top of the tallest one. And there's like this little balcony that goes around the the top of the tower. And a little walkway, and I look over, and here are six versions of Donald Trump. <laughs> and, and they're all, they're working on this tower, and they have like little hammers and stuff, and they're like doing stuff to it, and they're kind of taking it apart, and, it is, and I'm kind of like, what the fuck are they doing? <laughs> and, and then they all look at me, 
and then all together, all simultaneously, they all say um, something like, yeah, there's a lot of noise and dust on this end, but you should see the renovations we're making on the back end of reality. <laughs> That's amazing. It's like, it's like, okay, so this, 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 this is the front, right, you know, the Donald right, Trump and all right. of this, this is the front and that behind the scenes, there's actually something really monumental right. taking place. And it's not what we're seeing on the front that that is, it's just, you know, it's like those old West buildings, right? Where they have like, they're yeah, really yeah. tall, they're really fancy. And then you get behind them. It's like, it's just a fucking board. <laughs> you know, there, there's nothing <laughs> there. It's just, it's just a facade. Right. right? And so all of the smoke and noise and dust of Trump and everything else that's happening right now, that's just the front. And what's going on in the back end is something totally and completely different. And if we see our way through it, this is what I'm rooting for. Again, it's like that's the interstellar space barge into the future that it's actually going to be really good. But we've got to make it through this construction and right. deconstruct zone <laughs> first. That's amazing. I, I, yeah, that's beautiful. I, 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 yeah, those, it, it, it is. Those were his mechanical elves, the Trump mechanical elves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just like <laughs> that I, that's what I, I, I you know, I, I, I'm an optimist. I'm overly optimist, optimistic usually. I, I kind of feel like God likes a great story, you know, and I think a better story than everything just getting annihilated and then, you know, us, you know, trickling down to nothing and everyone dying off it's not as cool of an ending as getting right to the brink and then having some big breakthrough worldwide that would be the amazing ending to the story of humanity as it as it is now so that's why i'm kind of think you know god's the ultimate writer the ultimate filmmaker yeah. the ultimate artist and he likes a really cool ending yeah man <laughs> it's, it, it's just it's like Us. Game of Thrones, man. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. like Game of Thrones. It's like it's so worth it to have to wait till the seventh season to right. finally get John and Daenerys together to meet each other. It's like you've got to draw it out, and that you know, ultimately, God is this ultimate intelligence um, that is really unlimited. What would be the fun of making things easy for itself? I mean, that'd be right. so fucking boring. It's like, come on, let's get some drama. Let's There'd get be, some yeah, action. Yeah. Let's There'd take no... it to the very edge and then see what happens. Right. You know, There'd be no point more to it. Fun. Yep. It's just more fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think this is a great place to end it. Uh, I don't want to sure. go too long. I definitely sure. want it. would love to have you back again if you're into it, because there's so many things I'd like to talk to you about if you're interested. Yeah, um, I'd love to. And hey, maybe we could talk about art. That would be fun. That would be, yeah, that would art be cool. Is a fun all right. topic. I'll answer all the art questions and you can answer all the DMT questions. All uh, right. I would, <laughs> I would love it. Uh, I would love it. So anyway, one last pitch, please. If you've ever supported anything I've done, please throw your support behind this. I'm broke as shit. Mike's broke as shit. And we're both supporting it. You know, any small amount will help. And uh, we'll have a link in the uh, in the, the bio or whatever uh, uh, of the the deal and uh, please support and anything well, and I think any it's, final yeah, words I think it's, like it's worth say? noting here you know with the whole dark art society thing that Chet and I've been talking about all along is that it's people coming together to try to help each other so we see pain and struggle and instead of finding ourselves you know feeling like oh well, I'm polarized and I want to hate on that person it's like I want to help that person I want to share the love so for instance I can't back these guys projects but I can work on their project, right? And it, and I'm not going to get paid unless they get paid. Now, that doesn't mean that's why I'm sitting here. But what it means is, is that I'm willing to work for free for like 
45 days and work my ass off because that's how much I believe in this, right? And because I have an expertise that I can allow them to utilize and they have expertises they can allow us to utilize. So it's that cross-pollination thing. And again, I, I just think it's important to remind you, everybody here that the idea is to come together and to create that networking so that we can all benefit, you know, because I've seen a lot of this, you know, that derision and people being like, well, I don't want, you know, artists competing and I don't want this person to pollute my pool. And it's, if we all open our pools up, it's just a bigger pool that we're all in. And that's yeah. great. So let's yeah. work towards that. And that's what this is all about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I just really want to thank both of you for all the, the work you've already done um, beyond. I mean, you guys have been working so hard behind the scenes and, and, and the front of the scenes well on social media and, you know, not even just doing this podcast and everything else that you guys have done has just really been incredible and really deeply appreciated that. I mean, we, we still have a long way to go to meet that $30,000 goal, but I don't know if we'd even have half of what we have now, if it hasn't been for the work that you guys have been doing. So really deeply appreciate that. And you know, whatever comes to the movie, we'll see if we make the goal or not. Um, it's still been great connecting with you guys and right. being able to share this and talk about <laughs> this and, you know, we'll see what comes down the road, but your, your effort has been, very very appreciated um for for me and it just thank you guys so much it yeah. means everything it's my, my pleasure yeah absolutely. my pleasure too it's a, it's a privilege it's a privilege to be a part of it yes yes okay well thank well, you well, thank you yeah thank you everybody yeah, thanks for, for listening for listening we're gonna have all kinds of links of martin's uh different projects and you know there's all kinds of stuff going on in his life so we'll have links yep. there and uh thank you for listening and i guess that's it right yeah. Well, and also, if you guys could just on one last note, make sure to hit us up on iTunes for ratings and reviews. The more reviews we get, the more we're going to be up in the stats, the more people can see us and the farther our reach will be. Thank yep. you so much. All right. Catch you guys next Wednesday. Thanks, Martin. Thank you, Martin. All right. Thank you, guys. All right. Yeah.